You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Dave Ulrich, speaker, author, professor at University of Michigan Ross School of Business and co-founder of the RBL Group. Dave authored 30 plus books and over 200 articles that have shaped the HR profession and and he's been called the father of modern HR and HR thought leader of the decade. He's been recognized on Thinkers 50 as one of the world's leading business thinkers and received many awards, including one of the world's top 10 creative people in business by Fast Company. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Dave discuss the definition of culture and organizational capability, research about key steps to building strong workplace culture, new leadership agenda and paradoxes, and how to lead in uncertain times and how to turn your workplace culture into a win on the marketplace. Before diving into today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our Scaling Culture Masterclass, the eight-module playbook on how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team covering all things culture from creating and activating core values and culture-driven screening and onboarding to building relationships, change management, and operating as a team. To learn more or purchase the masterclass, please go to scalingculture.org. Now on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today with us, we have David Ulrich. David, really nice to see you. Ronald, great to see you too. It's uh, fun to be a part of the podcast. I often go by Dave. That's why I said Ronald. So uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? My mother calls me Ronald, but fair enough. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to Dave because Ronald's going to make me think of my mom. Well, David makes me think of my grandmother. So thank you. <laughs> no problem. Look, um, fascinating background. You know, we just had a, um, we're chatting a minute ago, um, you know, professor at Michigan State, it's Michigan State, correct? Michigan. But Michigan, sorry. University of Michigan. They're, they're University a rival. Of Michigan. And okay. uh, sometimes we are a team of rivals. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Well, well, well that's fascinating. And then, and then 30 plus books. Um, so, so obviously, you know, you and, and you, what did you call that? The addiction to writing? What's that called? Somebody wrote me a note and said, Dave, you have hypergraphia. And I was really scared. I didn't have a clue what it was. I thought, oh, I have right. some disease. It's addiction to writing. Okay. Um, there are people that just write a lot and I enjoy getting my ideas out in writing. So I have hypergraphia. So, so a lot of the books are, are they based on kind of research and then writing or interviewing? What, what's walk me just high level? How do you get your, your content? Um, it's funny. I, uh, I observe and I really try to watch what's going on around movies, around books, around other things. But I think observations lead to opinions mm-hmm. and a lot of people have opinions. But I like insights. For me, an insight is an opinion with theory and research that leads to a, a practice. So we do a lot of research. Uh, I love big data. My PhD is in is in numerical taxonomy. That's as abstract as hypergraphia. Taxonomy is the science of simplicity, using data to make complex things simple. So we do a lot of research. And then we do a lot of theory building, which basically says build on what's been done. Why does this... Why does culture or scaling culture work? And don't just give me an opinion, but give me a set of evidence and a set of theory about why. So that's what I spend my time doing and trying to figure things out. So, so what was the aha moment for you that got you even interested, intrigued in culture, company culture and how it works or doesn't work? And what was the observation that you had? That sparked uh, well, the research? It, it, it goes back. I'm going to go way back in, in time. I was on my way to law school decades ago, uh, hoping to become a lawyer, 
I took a course in something called organizational behavior. Nobody Ben knew what it was. It fascinated me. The professor who's still a mentor said, look at the world around you. Look at where you work. Look at where you play. Look at your hobbies. Look at where you eat out. Look at your, where you worship. Look at the movies you go to. What's the organization of how things are organized that changes how you think, feel, and behave? And then write about it. I wrote a 10-page paper for each week for 15 weeks. <laughs> One of my first papers, again, date this way back, not this far back, but Beowulf, an old English literature book, The Ideal yeah. Organization Man. And I wrote a paper. By the way, I cheated. I turned it into my English class, where it was my major, and I turned it into my organizational behavior class. My English professor said, that's weird. The source of power in King Lear. My OB professor said, that's great. What are you doing? To go to, don't go to law school. Anyway, he captured my imagination. My wife wow. says, uh, I have OCD. That's not obsessive compulsive disorder. It's organizational compulsive disorder. For the last decades, when I go into an organization, I reorganize it. We went to dinner recently, and I said to my wife, I could improve the productivity here 7%. Should I call the manager over? And she said, Dave, resist resist so leave them alone yeah, leave them alone they're fine but i love organizations ron they shape what we know what we think how we behave they are just fascinating enterprises and for decades that's what i observe and think about well let's let's dive into it what are some of the neat things i mean you talk about organization capability right what, what do you mean by that well most people define an organization by its morphology draw an organization and they get some kind of structure boxes arrows Pick a company, Ron, you admire. Just pick one you admire. Southwest Airlines. How many levels of management? No idea. And you don't even care. It's completely no. irrelevant. Why do, you, why do you admire them? Um, I admire them because of their, uh, the caring for the customer and caring for their individual employees. And Bingo. so I feel like- You have you just know. defined the capability that makes Southwest good. Southwest, okay. I don't care what the structure is. They yeah, may yeah, have yeah. two levels of management. They may have 50. I don't even care what their roles are. I don't care who reports to whom. But when they can create an employee or customer experience that you just articulated, that's a capability that helps them win in the marketplace. My first book in 1990 was called Organizational Capability. And, and the message was quit thinking about organizations by their morphology, structure, roles, and responsibilities. Think about what they're known for and good at. Southwest, I mean, you could pick, a, you could pick any company. Mm -hmm. uh, what is Amazon? I mean, I, I don't want to get down the list. That's fascinating. How do you think about an organization as a set of capabilities, what they're known for and good at doing that create value? So give Ron having a choice. I could fly on, uh, let's, uh, let's not name the Canadian airline that has kind of boring uninteresting blah blah we're blah. not happy until you're completely unhappy <laughs> oh i'm glad you not said that, that not is. me i'm glad you said that i'm gonna go on southwest by the way the seat isn't as predictable the seat isn't as comfortable but that flight attendant the experience makes me smile when i'm done got it right. that's a capability and companies have them and they can be created but but so how do we create capabilities if i if i if i'm I'm either in a company, I'm a leader, and I don't like what I'm seeing, or I want to start a company or scale a company. How, what are the behaviors? What are the I'm, strategies? To, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link this to culture. I, I think culture is not a new topic. 
I should yeah. give you the date. Uh, people wrote a book on culture and they identified 152 definitions of what culture is. Guess what year that was? No idea. 1952. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wild. I mean, this is not a new topic. These were some anthropologists who were studying. Actually, it was 164 definitions in 1952 of culture. That idea has come into the organizational literature. And, and Ron, one of the things I love to do is look at evolution of ideas. Theory builds on theory. I think there have been three waves of culture. Wave number one in organizations is values. Culture is the roots of the tree. It's yeah. our values turned into behavior. And so at Southwest, we value customer service, then we'll behave in a, in a more customer-centric way. And that's still there. That's kind of a wave. I think a second wave of culture is the systems that sustain it, often called in the academic world, your climate, information, decision-making, hiring. What are the okay. systems that embed a culture and allow it to be scaled? The third wave of culture is norms and patterns. What do you experience when you go into a company? What's the norm? What's the pattern? Mm. All three of those waves, value to behavior, practices, systems, patterns, unconscious biases, norms, are inside out. They're who we are. I like to go to the fourth wave. For me, culture is the identity of the firm and the mind of your key customer made real to your employee. Southwest, their capability is getting the right culture. If Southwest, and by the way, you and I should get a free ticket because we're talking about Southwest. We're that's doing right. a promotion. Um, but that's, we become their ambassador. They want to be known for exceptional customer service. That's the identity in the marketplace. And you can go through any dozen companies. What's that external brand that we as a company want to be known for? That's where culture change starts for me. It's not your values. That's the roots of the tree. Yeah. It's the leaves of the tree. Disney. But you need my, both, right, Dave? Oh, you got to Let's just say you did one and you didn't go through the first. You're going to get lost, no? Or, or uh, Well, let's say, let's say you have values that don't add value to the customer. Right. You go broke. Yeah. By the way, I've worked in those companies. Toys R Us. We're a great retailer. Circuit City. I mean, those companies, that, uh, by the way, we're staying with airlines. People Express, you're not old enough to know. They were the iconic airline of the 80s and 90s. They did all the people practices right. But they started inside out. These are our roots. These are our values. No. What's the value of those values to a customer? And I agree. You got to have a virtuous cycle. You got to connect your. And they need values. to connect. That's right. You got to connect. But it's by it's the way, when I read, and I haven't seen your book on culture, but when I read culture books, almost all of them are inside out. Here's mm -hmm. who we are. We're proud of this. We're not toxic. You know, I'd love to go outside in. What is it we want to be known for by our key customers? that will cause people like you and many others to go to Southwest instead of, mm -hmm. you know, instead of the other airlines. Sure. Boy, when you get that outside in focus on culture, it then becomes a true competitive advantage. I mean, that's where you win is you created that identity. Amazon dominant. And, and, and why the reason I pick Amazon, I don't know if you use Amazon in Halifax. Yeah, oh, yeah, I all the time. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, UPS doesn't even need a guide map. They just show up at my door every other day. Right. Um, why do you use Amazon? Simple, ease, trust. I trust the reliability. Trust the brand. Easy. Yeah. Now go to that and say, I run and million, 20% of internet sales. It's easy. It's trustable. It's reliable. That's the identity 
Now, what do you have to do inside to make that happen? And this is a fascinating case. Do you have to be really creative and innovative? No, no. Amazon doesn't want to be creative and innovative. They want to be absolutely disciplined and efficient so that Ron, the customer, says, I could go to Amazon or five other internet vendors. Amazon is simple. They're reliable. They're cheap. Wow. Notice, and the reason I say that is a lot of people say, oh, the value of innovation is good everywhere. No. In a lot of Amazon, they don't, they don't want to be innovative. Now, they do try to innovate, but they want to be innovative about their customer service because that's why you buy. But and they, that's could, could, that outside in. If you didn't have balance, so if you start with the outside in, because aren't there, in theory, co companies that deliver excellent customer service, but the employees are miserable and they're high turnover and it's causing, you know, causing problems for, for the no companies. Question. But when the employee sees that their value is creating value in the marketplace, that's the power of that company. That's the power. Now, again, Amazon is a tricky case because they get criticized for being yeah. aggressive. So and, focus and, efficient. Like, I, and I don't even know if this is true. I just heard a story the other day about Amazon, like clocking so, that every 10 seconds that you want. I'm like, what? Really? Is that even true? I don't know if it's well, and, and, or... and, and it's, uh, by the way, you've obviously got to connect the inside and the outside. You ask the question that got us into this is where do you start a culture? I start outside. And right. I believe that if a company doesn't succeed in the marketplace, there is no workplace. If you have warm values and friendly and kind mm -hmm. and you're loving all the time, but you haven't got a product or service people buy, you go yeah. broke. I mean, go through yeah. the airlines. There's, you know, the, there were 50 airlines 25 years ago. So, and, and again, you got to connect the two. Amazon is starting to realize that uh, they have 14 principles. Their new one is we do have to be a great employer. We do have to be a great employer. That's a new one. That's funny. That's like the last one. That's interesting. That's, they've added it, uh, but be careful. And also one of the dilemmas with Amazon, and I, I'm, a, I'm being a bit of an apologist for Amazon. They have a million employees. Guess what? I can find one who's unhappy. <laughs> I mean, that's. Yeah. But you know, and the, look, this is, there's no right or wrong. I mean, I go back to, uh, I don't the new England Patriots. Let's go to sports for a sec, right? You know, when you go there, you are going to be pushed to the, the limit they are expecting your a game all the time you don't take your foot off the gas but they want to win i kind of look at amazon like that and so i don't know much about their company culture but i feel like they're kind of like the patriots they're like look if you join here we're going to pay you well hopefully and we expect top notch and if you don't deliver top notch this place isn't for you it's going to be stressful we're going to grind maybe i'm wrong but, no, but, but i totally agree we are tough right and why why has bill belichick created that culture at new england patriots to win. To win. And guess what? It perpetuates itself. Right. I mean, and, and yeah, the, even this year, I mean, I, I'm not a, you probably know the Patriots better than me. They were not expected to do well, but they outperformed their talent. Um, mm. And to me, that's what culture does. Culture takes well, individuals and makes the organization better. Well, it's funny. My, my, I, and I, I found it very interesting with your waves. I, I thought you were going somewhere else with that. But, you know, the new headline for me as a leader of an organization is, 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 I'll say kind of balance. And what I mean by that is I've started to look at this during the pandemic and open my eyes and said, you know, it's time to care about the whole individual, the stuff that I would say, Dave, I don't care what happens with you and your, your partner and your kids and your dog. I don't care. Bring your best self to work. And I care about your performance. That's now changed. It, it has changed to let me create 
the best environment for you to make you the best version of yourself. But I want the best version of you. This isn't a country club. You know, I'm going to invest in you. We're going to make you the best version of yourself. But I, I want I want you here being the best version of yourself. And I need to participate in that. I think totally I have a responsibility. Totally. By the way, we have been writing about the now our research shows, and I love research. Uh, paradox is the key skill. You've just you call the balance. It's paradox. I've got to care for you as a person. Right. And I've got to be competitive. And the paradox is if I get too far on one side or the other of mm. that, of that paradox, I'm going to fail. I care about you. I don't care if we win in the marketplace. The company goes broke. That's the worst thing that can happen. I'm competitive. I don't care about you. That's going to lead to long-term failure as well. So I love that paradox. Um, and, and our research found that leadership is successful, not just because of character or authenticity the ability to learn, but the ability to navigate paradox. And I so agree with you. Uh, we've been doing workshops lately on what's the new leadership agenda and it's creating mental health. I think the, right. the pandemic eventually is going to get resolved. I mean, we're going to get, we're going to get vaccinated. We're going to get herd immunity. We're going to get whatever it is. I think the mental health subsequent challenges are actually may linger longer and they're mm. tough. And it's a really tough paradox. And that's, we just did another paradox, the inside and the outside. You got to navigate both. We just did another paradox. You got to care and you got to be competitive. By the way, we identified in our work, 19 of those paradoxes. Um, wow. And that's what makes leadership an art, not a science. Um, you know, how do I scale culture and still personalize it? Yep. How do I re respect my heritage and create my future? How do I be top down and bottom up? Anyway, that's, Ron, this is such an exciting time in this organization yeah. world, because mm -hmm. what happened, I think in 2008 and nine is it was the economic and financial crisis. Get your financials in order. COVID, social issues that are just ruthless and horrible around uh, Black Lives Matter in the US, refugees, ref uh, political uncertainty and toxicity in almost uh, cross countries, technological innovation. All of those issues for me put human capability, the term I've been using lately, at the center of business agenda. We've got to create a more human capability system so that we succeed in the marketplace. And that's that. And culture is a central, central part of that. And we're seeing it, right? Because, you know, now and, and, and I really believe it is the great resignation. People have reflected and said, I don't like this job. I don't like who I've become. I don't like how I'm treated. I, I'm going to, you know, I, I mean, the, it used to be in balance with, you know, employers had the leverage. Now it's moved. Like, and, and, and for me, I don't, that pressure doesn't stress me out. I, I lean into it. I think what an opportunity because I hear entrepreneurs talking about, I can't find people. I can't find people. Look, there are some challenges in some markets, fine. But overall, I think you need to look in the mirror. I think if your brand, if you're, someone asked me um, a question on a podcast the other day, which was, you know, what question should leaders ask to see if they, if, 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 if their culture is really, you know, sticky today. And the question I came up with was to your employees, leaders should ask this question, knowing what you know about this company in this position, would you be excited to rehire, to, 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 to come and work here? Right. Would you be excited to come and work here today, knowing right. what you know? And that'll tell you whether Houston, you have a problem or you're in Great good question. shape. Great question. You know? you know, some companies are paying people $500 to leave, which right. is, a, no, it's a creative idea because after yeah. 90 days, if you're not excited yeah. to be here, you're, Zappos. by the way, the, the research behind that is cool. 
employee engagement, however you want to measure that, has a correlation of 0.6 to 0.8 with customer engagement. So if you've got a disgruntled employee mm. and they interface with customers, you're going to have a bad customer cycle. And, and that gets us in trouble. Um, I, I just feel I, I so strongly agree with that direction. And, and I am so committed that culture is not just the roots of the tree. It's not just the values we have. It's the leaves of the tree that the customers see and feel and draw. Right. So when I look at books on culture, I love to say, what percent of this book is focused on values, which are critical, systems that sustain values, critical, patterns, but what percent of this book is really building culture outside in so that that internal culture creates value for those customers who will stay with us? And, uh, and, and I like that. My leadership, I love your leadership question. My test of a leader when I have a chance is a simple one. How often did somebody leave an experience with you as a leader feeling better or feeling worse about themselves? Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's an emotional test and it's an affect test, not a data test, but you know, by the way, I'm having an interaction with you right now. I hope that you'll leave feeling, wow, that was useful. And better doesn't mean we always love each other. Better means, wow, right. that was really good. I learned something. By the way, you've already taught me two or three things. The question you just gave, uh, would you come back to work here? That's would really you be excited. Good. You need would excited. You excited? Would you be excited? Would you be passionate to come to work here? Yeah. I learned something. I feel better about myself. You're a great leader. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's the iconic test and, uh, and it's subjective. And I really believe that that mental health issue, care, concern is critical. Let, let me give another example. Uh, uh, and again, I, I keep circling the same point, trying to make it. The business roundtable came out about a year and a half ago now with their profit through or profit and people, profit and purpose. And I love the idea, but I think it's wrong. There's a word wrong. It's not profit and people, profit and purpose, as if they're two separate events. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we'll do profit. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, we'll do purpose. Right. I think it's profit through purpose, profit through people. And when we can connect that people and purpose and emotional well-being with our profit, then we've created that, that, that balance or cycle that you talked about. That's my agenda, is how do you create success in the marketplace through a better workplace? Or how do you turn your workplace into a better marketplace? And when that mm -hmm. becomes embedded in the culture, it's a pattern not tied to any individual leader. How do you do that? One, I know your listeners like specifics, so I'll, I'll do yeah. a recipe. What do we want to be known for by our best customers? Get very clear. What is our unique identity too? How do we make that a top-down agenda? How do we communicate that to our employees over and over and over again? This is what we're known for. Reliability, stability at Amazon, innovation, creativity at Google, a great guest experience at Disney. Number one, what do we want to be known for? How do we make it top-down? Three, how do we make a bottom-up? Employee, what can you do at Disney to give that guest a better experience? Southwest, what can you do as a flight attendant to give that passenger a better experience, make it top down, share it over and over, bottom up, third, side to side, or fourth, side to side. How do I weave that experience of the customer into every HR practice? We'll hire for it, we'll train for it, we'll pay for it, we'll organize for it. And the most critical number five, 
I'll go through them again. What's the recipe for building the right culture? What do we want to be known for in the marketplace? What's that identity too? Top down, share that with all employees over and over and over again, simple, repeated. Bottom up, let the employees create their behaviors side to side, build it into systems. And the most critical in the middle of my our thinking, how do you lead that way? How does your personal leadership reflect customer? We call it leadership brand. I promise the customer A, B, and C. Am I as a leader behaving consistent with A, B, and C today? That's yeah, it. Nice, That's nice our check formula. and balance. That's right. our formula. Um, anyway, I've talked way too much. What, no, no, what, it's great. What uh, led you? I'm, I want to learn. I want to leave here informed. What's your message of scaling culture? I'm excited about the book, your, your other book about outrageousness and in the back about empowerment and getting people to have incredible experience. What's the message of culture that you hope people will get? Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking. You know, the, 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 for me, I think a lot of people um, don't look at culture like they look at their customer strategy. Right. And so, so I, I believe that you need to be your, your, your culture, you should be strategic about your culture. You know, so, you know, that old saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I, I don't necessarily buy that either. I think you need to be strategic about your culture to win. You know, I just have, have changed around a little bit. And because there's this old saying, right? Your culture's either by default or design. Nice. And I built a company and, and this came up in a podcast the other day where it was by default. You know, I certainly, before I had built it out with some of the key things you're talking about, the, 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 the behaviors and systems and, and different things to, to be able to scale this thing, um, it was by default. Those who were around me within arm's length, I would say the culture, you know, uh, permeated to them. But, but, but certainly when I went to our office in Vancouver across the country, that was a different business. And they had their own culture. And I was like, wow, this is not, this doesn't feel like my company. And that was an aha moment to say, well, I need to go back to the drawing board and design this thing and keep it front and center. And, you know, the other thing is there's different levels that I believe people are um, along the journey in culture. And it took me a long time to get to a level that said, look, I've created these systems, processes, values, but that's, that's the foundation we're there. Well, no, it's like company strategy. You need to revisit that. You need to upgrade your culture. Maybe you, someone slipped through that had passive aggressive behavior. And so you need to implement new language and strategies in your, in your core values in, in, within your culture to eliminate that or the other side. You've now hired someone who's just doing an excellent job because they've, for the first time, they're taking absolute responsibility for all their actions. Well, my, from my experience, you want to upgrade your values to make sure that, hey, let's implement that language. Let's screen for people that take responsibility, onboard them, tell them it's important and continue to, to you know, praise and coach when, when it's not met. And so it continuously evolves just like company strategy, like we look at for the customer. And so the, the, the book really breaks all those systems and, and processes down. Yeah, it's, it's you well, know, I, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, the only thing I might comment on, please, I'm, I'm I, by the way, I'm taking notes. I've already got a page of notes. Nobody's watching I'm, this, but I've got a page of little notes of things I'm commenting on. We talk about upgrade, design, improve, evolve, expand. Mm -hmm. The one thing I might comment on is put the word so that behind it. So that put the word. So that. Oh, so that. Words, yeah, yeah. Words, so that. Got it. We succeed in the marketplace. Right. Got it. What no, is, absolutely. What, right. What's it and, all for? That's what it's all for. And it's not just, yeah. I've talked about strategy as a mirror. 
I have a mirror behind me. You look in the mirror and you build a strategy. I think that's a bad metaphor. I think it should be a window because strategy should start outside in. Who are those customers? In Vancouver, by the way, if the customers are the same as Halifax, we need the same culture. But in Vancouver, they may be really weird or Halifax yeah. may be weird. Yeah, yeah. But, and so when you hire someone, let's say you hire someone, let's do a hypothetical. You hire someone named Nick for technology, who's just a delightful human being and a great father. And you go, what will Nick bring technologically that will enable me, Ron, to do podcasts and books and distribution that will help customers, my readers, my, my, my listeners, have a better experience? Right. Yeah. yeah, right. You're saying just bring it through to the final stage, the full, I'll that's call it, it Jim, Jim Collins flywheel right around. That's yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I, you're, you're right. I, I think for me, I, I, I probably take for granted that to me, the outcome is win the game. That's what I mean by win the game, win the customer, right? Yeah. You're yeah. the best team, you win the game. And, uh, but, but you're right. Being um, probably very clear about what do you get from this? What is this hard work going to get you? And, and yeah. ensuring that you're looking from the customer and, and from a winning perspective. From the I call it outside in or simply yeah. ask the question. People come to the university where I teach at Michigan and they, I say, what do you want to learn in this program? I want to build a better culture. I want to build leadership. I want to build compensation. I want to, I want to manage hybrid work. That's a big buzzword today or the great resignation. And then I say, so that what? And they go, what do you mean? I, I want to do hybrid work. Why? Right. I want to do culture. Why? And once I get them to see that outside in, then we've created the flywheel or that virtuous cycle that says, wow, a customer at Disney is going to want a different experience than a customer at Amazon right. or Walmart. I mean, totally. Amazon versus Walmart, you're going to have a different experience. Wow. That's the agenda that for me creates a sustainable, uh, accurate culture. And that's why I get so excited. I mean, culture becomes the anchor point around, not an anchor point. I said that badly. Culture becomes a variable point. We change the culture, the leaves of the tree change. So I don't like roots of the tree because they don't change. They're mm -hmm. locked in. Leaves change right. every year. Right. Is the customer changing? Wow. That customer's changing. <laughs> By the way, in our world, in training, it's no longer in-person schmoozing, mm -hmm. you know, social agenda at night. It's technology-based. That's who the customers want. We got to find ways to do that. Anyway, I, Ron, I am so delighted with what you've thought about. Yeah, well, thanks. And, and look, I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation. But I, I was curious, tell me about boundaryless organization. What does that mean? Uh, it's a simple idea and it's not new. When, again, organization is not your structure, it's your capability. Uh, Southwest is not known by their levels. Yeah. And organizations, when you do get into structure, you've got to avoid getting locked into silos. So you've got vertical boundaries from the top to the bottom. You've got to get information all the way from the top to the bottom and the bottom up. You've got to remove the vertical boundaries. You've got to remove horizontal boundaries, silos. In the auto industry, a number of years ago, it took GM and Ford and Chrysler, the, the North American companies, five years, concept of production. Why? Because you had R&D, engineering, manufacturing, marketing. And every time you had an idea, it had to pass through that, that horizontal silo. Japan, 18 months. Toyota, because they had a horizontal team. They didn't have silos ver horizontally. Vertical boundaries, horizontal boundaries, and you've got to get rid of external boundaries. You've got to bring the customer in. Let's get a customer in, in Toyota on that design team. So when you remove those, those silos, boundaries, whatever you want to call them, 
you create organizations today, the buzzword is agility. It's not a new idea. Mm -hmm. um, you create organizations that have the ability to act and move more quickly. That's the idea. So what else, Dave, what else have we not talked about that's front and center for you uh, when it comes to building culture? By the way, I wake up here, I, I, I hypergraphic, I love ideas. I have idea friends uh, that wake me up almost every night and force me to write some stuff. Um, I know that's just pathetic. And the good news is I don't post most of it. So people are not, uh, are not. That could be bad news. This might be good stuff. Uh, I, some of it is, and most of it's not, and that's okay. There's two thoughts I've been thinking about lately. Have you been hearing much about people lamenting uncertainty? Oh, we live in an uncertain world. It's volatile. We don't know the new normal. Yeah. And I've posted, I've said, here's 12, here's 12 literatures from military, VUCA, from religion called faith, from finance called risk, of how you can harness uncertainty. It hit me last week, that's wrong. Don't focus on harnessing uncertainty, focus on seeking certainty. Right. So I'd come to you, Ron, say, Ron, what do you know? What do you actually know? And you said it earlier, when I involve people, they pay attention. When I care for people, they'll respond positively. Don't focus on where you're going to work. Hybrid work doesn't bother. I don't care where you work. Don't even focus on how you work. Technology, non-technology. Focus on what you know with some degree of certainty. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking lately about it's really time to let uncertainty as the metaphor go and to start focusing. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have a, uh, I don't know if we're going to have another variant of COVID or not. I don't know if we're going to fly. I don't know if we're going to have in-person meetings. I don't know if we're going to be hybrid. But here's, but here's what, what I, I know. Here's what I know. I find that to be a fascinating question. Yeah, it and, keeps people uh, grounded, right? And confident and, yep. and less anxious. And thank you. You gave me some, okay, that's what I'll focus on. I, I think that's very smart. What's the second piece? The second one is, and again, in my background, remember, I'm trained as a taxonomist. I, I'm trained as a researcher. I think people have a lot of opinions and they're really good and thoughtful. But I get worried that we base a lot of decisions on opinions versus insights. For me, an, in, an opinion is an idea that's really good. The insight is the idea based on some degree of theory. Why is that opinion relevant? Yeah, the insight of the facts that should help drive this opinion. And that's no? the research. Yeah, you got right. theory and you got research. And, the, right. and I get worried that in, in my field in human capability, which is talent, organization, leadership, and HR, that people have opinions. Here's 12 competencies of HR people. Okay, that's a great opinion. Where did you come up with that? Last night, okay. Did you recognize that we've got research over 30 years with 120,000 respondents that have studied that issue in some degree of rigor? I'm not saying our research is perfect, right? but it leads to an insight with theory and research. So I, I wish we could get our field. We need opinions. We uh, opinions drive research, but I would well, love it's funny. more insights. Even even as a leader, I I am guilty of you know we, we could be having a, a debate uh, on our team about a direction, and I would say something like, which I in reflection is wrong, but you know I feel like we should do this. Well, what do you mean you feel like? I mean that's just you know as you reflect on that, it's horrible. Or you know it. it this, no, it's not. Know. It's not. It's not, Ron. Let me tell you why. I'll give you an experience I had a number of years ago that actually thank you for that metaphor because it reminds me. I'm coaching a leader. I'm coaching two leaders. One is, and I, I don't want to name him, but it's, it, he's the head of one of the big three automotive companies. He's in his 50s. And by the way, that sounds like a coach big top leaders. I don't all the time. 
And he said, ah, Dave, I woke up this morning and I had a feeling that I should replace the head of one of our large divisions. What should I do? And I looked at and I said, you've been a leader since you were 25. You've run companies, you've got experience. You've got 30 years of data. Use your instinct. Right. The next day I'm coaching a 30 year old leader who's running a billion dollar company. And he said, Dave, I think I should replace this person. And I said, you have no instinct. You have no data. Don't use your instinct. Go right. collect some data. So th the point is, Ron, you've been a leader of multiple companies. Yeah. When you wake up in the morning and say, God, my instinct is this. I go, you've got data. You've got theory. You've got research. It may not be as explicit, but your feelings are not based on, you know, the wind. Uh, you know, I, I got I got a ticket on the way to the office. So I'm mad and I'm going to fire someone. No, but that's a, that's a good point. But I would also say that, you know, your feeling can be. Um, uh lost for words, could, could be blown up through emotion. Maybe I just had Absolutely. a really bad interaction with that person. So Absolutely. so I think what you're saying is, okay, even if you are intuition based on some data research that you, you don't see in the forefront is telling you this thing, maybe go back and take your time and, and just Absolutely. look through it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. The, the point I want to make is I think I talk about uh, insights based on theory and research. The research can be empirical, statistics, spreadsheets. Right. Somebody said 20% of the world's data is called structured. That's in spreadsheets. 80% mm -hmm. is in observation. And that right. observational data is real. What did you notice coming to work today? Now, mm -hmm. by the way, for me, that, that means I'd probably go write some stupid essay. Uh, for you, that means you'd build a product and make millions of dollars. That's why you're you and I. Hope but, to. <laughs> but, by the way, I don't, I don't discount that observational yeah. unstructured data. I think it's mm -hmm. legitimate. But again, I, I really loved it. I want to go back to a point you made earlier sure. and I want to reinforce it. I, and again, I'm trying to raise, you said, make this real. I'm coaching another leader. And again, this sounds like I spend all my time coaching great leaders and I don't, but no, you spend all your time writing. You do this on I the do. side. I, this is coaching is, an, is, is just it's, it's <laughs> a way to pay the bill. Writing doesn't, I'm going to give you a secret. You're not going to make a lot of money on your books. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was not the intent. That would that's be a not bad the intent. business decision. Writing is, that would be a very bad business decision. Somebody made a big mistake and you've had this as a leader, egregious mistake in a big, big company. I won't name it again. Cost literally millions of dollars this company wanted to put things in writing so he drafted an email you made a huge mistake that's going to cost us millions of dollars you've got to improve or else you're not going to have a job and he said dave you told me as a coach i got to go to you before i send it thank you thank don't send you. that email here's what i said let me edit it with three sentences in the beginning i care about you you have great potential at this company you made a mistake that cost us a lot of money. I would like to, third sentence, I would like to help you improve so that we can learn from it. Right. Now, why do I share that right. story? Notice, I didn't walk away from you made a mistake that cost us a lot of money. That's this, you call it a balance. I'm going to call it paradox. Call it yeah. whatever you want. You made a mistake. Absolutely. I'm going to hold you accountable. But look at the first sentence. I care about you. You have great potential. And the last sentence, let's learn from it and make ourselves better. He sent that. Those, with, those go back to intent, right? Because people absolutely. feel a little more comfortable when you have the right intent. If your intent is for them to improve and that oh, you care it. about them, then it. you're in good shape. I love it. He, he called back the next day. He said, Dave, I got a response I've never gotten before. 
And I said, think about that. <laughs> you know, that might be healthy. I, I, and that's when you talked about leaders and, and that paradox or balance we started with, you got to show that you care. Yeah. I care about you. You have great potential, but you've also got to be competitive. You made a mistake. That's okay. Let's learn from it and move yeah. on. And I, my bet is if you look back at your experience, I mean, one reason you're a good leader is you do that intuitively. Um, can we train leaders to do that? I hope so. I hope so. Well, I you, hope to me, you sit, you can systemize what you just did. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. care about you, you know, so, so you can systemize that actually. Right. I mean, nice. Right. Oh, that's uh, duh. We won't call it systemized. We'll call it scaling. And sure. then, we'll, then we'll do a book called scaling. Well, your if you culture. system, you can scale it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then that could become part of your culture. That's not tied to that's any it. leader. I, uh, well, I think that's cool. Anyway, you are so helpful, Ron. Thank you. Yeah, look, Dave, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I've got uh, two pages of notes, actually. So thank you. Uh, lots of great stuff. Um, and I've been able to reflect on a few things and, and noodle around as we've been into this conversation. So look, I want to thank you again for being a guest. This will be an excellent episode for, for our listeners. And um, I wish I'm you all gonna, the best. I, You're I'm going to stay you in touch. I am yeah, going to ask you a question. Yeah, go. You have lots of guests. You have lots of podcasts. You have lots of experience. If there was one message that you wish you could plant inside leaders' heads so that they would have the impact they desire. By the way, if it's a bad leader, we don't want to pay attention to them if they're yeah. malicious. But I'm a leader with good intent. What's, what is Ron's implant that you would put inside her head or his head? You know, that's a really good question. It's tough to answer. And, and the first thing that came to my head was... Um, was a statement. And that statement is the skills that you have today, the skills that you have today, the skills that I have are the same skills that will get in our way as we try to grow as individuals, as companies. And so, got it. Got it. right. And so I believe that that statement expands to everything from, you know, I've been short-sighted on my diversity inclusion. I'm short-sighted on my culture. I'm short-sighted on the customer strategy. I just, I think we need to open our minds to that and um, to that fact. And then if you can open your mind to that, then you will embrace the, the journey of learning and growing. Another note. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, and well, by the way, the what question. I just modeled with you there was what I did with that CEO of, a, of, of one of the auto companies. Ron, what you just said is not just your opinion. Right. What you just said is based experience. on experience, yes. uh, both right. writing and some of it's statistical. That may not be your bag, but a lot. No, it's, of it's, it's osmosis. Like it's my own experience. I've, and, I've, and I've had to look in the mirror a lot. Yeah. So you didn't just give an opinion. You gave an insight no. in my language. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. That's helpful. Well, Dave, look, uh, it's been incredible. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, I'm excited to get this uh, to, 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 to one, get this episode out for everybody and to continue this relationship as you wish. Thank you so much. What a privilege. For more information about Dave and his books, please follow him on LinkedIn or go to www.rbl.net. To learn more or purchase the Scaling Culture Masterclass online course, please go to scalingculture.org. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.